morning, Church of the Red Door. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. Are we going to be a church filled with the love of God? Are we going to be extending that kind of grace, you know, as we go through this Great Commission conversation? So uh, before we get going here, I'm going to bring up uh, Mrs. Constance Best. And uh, do you have a, does she have a mic? Okay, she's going to grab it off the stand. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we have our big regathering party, and they have been working. If you didn't see it out, if you come in on this side over here, and rather than that side, you need to go over that side on your way out so you can see all of our uh, great women of faith that are doing the yeoman's work of getting us all signed up for the living desert. So what I'd like to do is have someone who knows everything there is to know about this event on November 17th give you some insight. So Constance, tell us what's going on. What do you need? What do you need of us? Give us your best shot. All right. Good morning, everybody. I am so excited to be here to announce that today is the day that you can get your tickets to our Welcome Back Barbecue event, which will be at the Living Desert Zoo. It's going to be really fun, and we hope that you'll all be there. Um, we, it's going to be an afternoon full of exploring the zoo at your own pace, getting up close and personal with some small animals. And I'm talking about they're here and you're here, which is going to be really fun. Um, and then we're going to have a delicious Western-style barbecue. And you're going to get a chance to connect with your CRD family. And that's what the CRD Connection team is all about. We want to get you connected. And then we also have a connection when we work on the events together. So we have 39 volunteers working on this event from the church. Isn't that great? Awesome. Um, so we don't need any more volunteers. Okay. So we're, we're good on that. So tickets go on sale today. And I want to kind of explain it because it's different than we've done before. Our uh, first ticket that we have is called Helping Hand Ticket. And what this is, is it's a ticket that's $75, and it includes your admission, and then you're helping someone else to come to the, the program that day that maybe couldn't do it on their own. Um, it's all anonymous. You won't know who you're helping, but um, there are folks that could use the help, so I'm going to throw a plug out for that one. And then we have a regular adult ticket. We have a child ticket, and child means 12 and under. And then we have people that belong to the zoo that are members. We have a special ticket for them because they get their membership for free. So um, stop on out. If you don't want to wait in the line, hopefully there's not too big of a line, don't want to wait in the line, go online and buy your tickets today. And then your tickets would be available next week at the concierge table. We'll have a will call table. Um, let's see. For our live streamers, if you won't be back in the desert, we encourage you to order your tickets online, and if you're not going to be here till that weekend, come to the welcome will call table at the zoo and pick up your tickets there. Don't forget to invite your family, friends, and neighbors. We're really encouraging you to do that. Okay? Okay, before you leave, I have one very significant question. When we're talking small animals, how small? Are we talking hamsters, gerbils? Uh, kind, when you say small animals, what are we talking well, about? Well, there's actually like a porcupine. Oh, okay. All right. Um, they're, they're a little bigger. I don't, yeah. Some of them are small, but some of them are bigger. There's birds. 
big birds that we're going to. No, let, let me tell you, folks. With. Let me let me tell you something. If you've never been to one of these one of our events, it is spectacular. I think we've sold out and had a waiting list for virtually everything. So we went up to 300. We're going to have room for 300. And again, we do want you to bring your friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it'll sell out pretty quickly, especially if the live stream uh, catches on and gets hers done over the internet. So Constance, on behalf of the whole church, uh, you and your team. Thank you beyond words You're for all welcome. the work you guys put into this, gals and gals. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. This woman is extraordinary, and she said, you don't embarrass me. And I said, that's exactly what I imp- intend on doing. This woman is extraordinary. She, uh, she did it in her career. She uh, Huge events for corporations and everything else, and now she's brought a lot of those giftings to our church. So she's, you know, part of the gig, and this is an unbelievable thing. So we're excited about that event. We're excited about that event. So uh, are you ready? Should we pray? You think? Maybe we should pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you again always for the privilege, the privilege to be able to meet openly. There are places in the world that, well, that just can't happen. They've got to meet privately, secretly, and always in fear. Lord, we, we don't. We, we come here, and sometimes I think over time we take it for granted. Lord, we don't want to take it for granted. The fact that uh, the early church was often on the run. And uh, church through history very often has been on the run, and yet we, we meet here publicly, and, and Lord, uh, we, we are grateful for that. Lord, we need you this morning. I was upstairs praying before, and Lord, as you know, I call out to you. I, I have no idea how to proceed with this. I have my ideas, but we're always interested in hearing from you because we believe that you can speak to us individually right where we are. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I was thinking about this morning. Have you ever thought about what if you were doing a class and say where you were trying to work on the math to try to determine whether black holes exist or not and all the effects and blah, blah, blah. That would take some pretty intense math. And so you, were, you got a group of scientists together and then you also said, oh yeah, but we're also going to have people that haven't even taken basic math yet and they're going to be in your class and then we're going to have people that, you know, know, I took a little trigonometry but that was uh, maybe 50 years ago and they're going to be in your class. That's a little bit sometimes the challenge for uh, any pastor when you're coming in because we've got people that are brand new to the Bible every week. They just, they just haven't really spent that much time in the Bible. So you want to be able to speak to them, have them, and yet you also have some of you that have been walking with Jesus, some of you for decades and decades and decades, and many of these service, many of these sermons, something akin, a special story I'm going to tell you this morning, you've heard before. And so how do you Maybe give something, give some input, maybe a different way to, to look at this particular story this morning and give someone to them as well. So it's always a challenge to have people on all over the map, uh, new to your Bible and been around your Bible your whole life. But I, I do the best I can. I don't know that I do it so well, but so hopefully you're going to walk away some, from some, with something this morning and, uh, and it's going to be life-changing, life-changing so as I alluded to in the midst of this week, uh, I was uh, down trying to stretch out this old body on my office floor, and I was kind of doing some of my uh, whatever it is I do to stretch out. I'm glad nobody's in there with me to, uh, to examine that. But uh, nevertheless, and I just had this just overwhelming, I could just see it in my mind's eye, just, just kind of this little outline that immediately just kind of, and, and usually when that happens, uh, I go, okay, I feel like that's the Lord. And it was, it was, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it, just kind of emerged. And those are always when I get excited. I can always come and pull something up and last minute, but especially when it's, no, I want you to go this direction. I don't always have that feeling, but I did this week, as I alluded to, 
uh, in your missive. So are you ready? Let me just go back. We are talking about the Great Commission, and we've been working on this idea that it, at a, there's a certain point in your walk that you actually move into activity, which is then becomes your food. And we looked at this last week. How do you become, and it's going to be kind of our thought this morning, how do you move from being uh, a feeder on the word to becoming a self-feeder? You know, a big change. You can tell a big change in the maturation of somebody if they are actually self-feeding. They actually go to the Bible, they read it, and they get something out of it. But first, they just actually go to the Bible. Some says, well, I can't go to the Bible. I can't actually read the Bible. I'm dependent upon somebody that's, you know, got all these degrees to go down and let them unpack it a little for me, and we take away our little tidbit. But self-feeding is a real core thing that's got to emerge in your own heart if you actually want to take, take your position in the Great Commission. Whatever your gifting is, but you still need to be a self-feeder. Why? Because you're going to need to hear the voice of the Lord virtually every day. It doesn't matter what you do, what you put your hand to. As you get deeper down this rabbit's hole called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, you're going to begin to require hearing his voice specifically and then the application of the word. If you're not a self-feeder, it's going to be challenging to do that. So what we uh, base our whole church on is Jesus, of course, but then, of course, Jesus is the word, as we've talked about so many times. So what is it? How, do you, how are you sustainable in the Great Commission if you're not a self-feeder? It would be very challenging. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to quickly go back to Hebrews chapter 5. Almost got there last week, didn't quite, and then we'll move on this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We've actually looked at this in various contexts before, but I want to read it to you one more time. This is Paul's letter to the believing Jewish community. Okay, so when he writes the letter to the Hebrews, he's writing it to the Jews who had embraced Jesus as the Messiah. They were not just Christians now and no longer Jewish, as you've heard me say before. They were more Jewish than they had ever been. That's my argument. Why would you all of a sudden not be Jewish if through the text and through the prophets you said this is the Jewish Messiah and now all of a sudden you're not a Jew anymore? Be cautious when you talk to any Jewish person about converting or something like that. That language, uh, well, I'm not going to leave my Jewishness. They, they imagine that they have to leave their Jewishness and then move into somehow being a Gentile now. It's not at all the point. In fact, this letter was written to the believing Jewish community. But Paul is giving them a little chastening here. Listen to his language here in verse 11. Now concerning Jesus, him, we have much to say, and actually it's kind of hard to explain to you guys because you've become dull of hearing. By now you ought to be teachers, and as it is you have need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not even accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Now, we've talked about this over the last, even this last year, we've actually alluded to this verse. But then the next part is particularly important for our context here. Solid food is for the mature who, because of activity, because of uh, taking this dirt and water and actually engaging activity, uh, practice, if you will, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You know, by now, you guys have heard enough. You've heard all this, but you're still not, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit and put my spin on it, uh, which you may reject, but what my point is, Paul is saying, he says, by now you ought to be teachers, and as it is, you just, you keep hearing the same thing, but because of activity, you guys, you still can't even discern good and evil. You don't know the difference, and, and by now you should know the difference. I think what he was really saying is you guys should be self-beaters by now. You should be able to give away, not just receive 
as it relates to the totality of the kingdom of heaven and all of its provision. You should be a giver and not just a taker. You're still an infant. Infants only take. And can I have an amen? Maybe we have some young mothers in here. Uh, infants really, I mean, they get all oh, that smile and the, you know, the love. And oh, they'll give you wrong. I mean, there's a lot that you receive back. But they, in the whole economy of things, they, they don't provide a whole lot. So, uh, well, they provide some things, but they need to be cleaned up afterwards. So, so what I'd like to do now is I'd like to talk. I'm going to take you down for the next two weeks. I'm going to take you down a path. Now, I was a little bit nervous about this because there's going to be some reasonably extensive reading. And everyone, oh, God, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, you, I don't want the reading, the narrative. But if I don't read, I'm going to make it exciting. I'm going to keep it I'm because I'll get bored. If I get bored, then I don't want to be bored. So I want you guys to follow along with me in some of these stories that we're going to tell. And I'm going to take you on a journey, and I'm going to try Try to unpack what I think were some a little bit challenging things that Jesus said uh, that were a little enigmatic, a little hard, a little opaque. And unless you can go deep into the text, I don't, I think you'll miss some of the things that are happening in the New Testament, some of the activity in the life of Jesus that he's explaining to us. Now, one, if you've been around my teaching at all, and some of you have been, um, you know, some of you, 20 years uh, around the teaching I've done, you've always heard me talk about our life is very much about like the Exodus. Why? Because Paul says this. I'm not just pulling this out of the air. And the Exodus template, which is what we're going to call this, the Exodus template has been so instructive for me in my life. I cannot even begin to tell you. To go back and plug it into a story and say their story is my story. What happened to them is going to happen to me. God's no respecter of people. So when I go back to the Exodus template, it's important that I can see what Israel went through is what I'm going to go through. Where they fail is where I'm going to succeed because now we have the gift and the provision of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So where do we draw this from? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just so you can have a foundation. Is Jeff just pulling this out of thin air? In fact, the very core the, uh, of our church. You, well, people all, all the time ask me. I got to ask here recently. I was with uh, one of our elders, Chris Herman, and we were having lunch this last week, and, and uh, we had two women come up and ask us, waitresses, and it was kind of empty because the course had closed and we were at a particular place, and they both came and asked us, what does church at the red door mean? And that, there's, a, there's an intention behind that, a design behind that. People go, what is church at the red door? What's that? What does that mean? allows you to share the gospel right there because it actually is then the as you know many of you know the the blood over the door that allowed them to be passed over and we go back to exodus chapter 12 well all of those things were written for us paul says exactly the same thing notice verse verse 1 first corinthians chapter 10 now he's speaking now to a gentile church the, the church at corinth and boy they were struggling there was they were that church was a mess i mean they were a real mess and yet they were saints. Sounds odd, doesn't it? That's grace. For I do not want you to be unaware, my brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. What does that mean? And all passed through the sea. Well, what's he referencing here? He's referencing when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and went through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. Okay? He said, and all ate the same spiritual food. Spiritual food? What's he talking about? He's drawing an analog here. He's going to give us a comparative thing here. He says, what happened to them in the physical, they were looking for food, is really our spiritual. So when they were given manna, and then Jesus comes along in John chapter 6, 
said, Behold, I am the bread or the manna that comes down from heaven. Jesus, too, is referencing back. See, everything that happened to Israel is now going to happen to you in your spiritual journey. If you don't understand Israel's journey, then chances are you won't know how to walk out your journey very well. You'll just have a list of things that you try harder to do as a good Christian. And yet that's not the point. You are in a journey. If you can see your life as a journey sovereignly ordained by God, it changes everything. Let me say that again. If you can see your life and the things that are occurring in your life as part of the providential plan of God, knowing that he's got you on a journey, whether he takes you at age 50 from cancer or you live to be 120, you're still on a journey that's providentially ordained by God. And the things that are occurring to you, God has, however you want to look at it, depending on your view, either allowed or it may be even caused in your life, and he's going to work it together. If you don't understand that, you'll just see all these arbitrary things coming at you, and you'll always be questioning your faith. You won't see yourself on a journey. So at Paul, Jesus, is a, you guys need to see, you're like Israel. You're coming out of Egypt. You're like Israel. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. Guys, we're, I'm t- as long as I'm pastor of this church, one of the pastors of this church, I will tell you, we will reference the Exodus journey over and over and over because it's a beautiful way to understand your journey. They all j- drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock. No, spiritual three times, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. He said the rock, that was actually a rock that they encountered in the wilderness. But spiritually speaking, the purpose for Israel was that they were going to provide a template for millennia, for all, not only only Jews, but also Gentiles and all the nations, as we've discussed through Psalm 96, and it's going to help them on their journey with God. Nevertheless, now catch this, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, and they were laid low in the wilderness. You know, I've read that so many times, I wonder often, Lord, that you would be pleased with my life. Sometimes I feel like, even as a, as a pastor and a guy in a ministry, and sometimes I feel he must be so displeased with me when I fail or when I, when I have an attitude that's not. Do you have a life and an intention? Of course, then I recognize his grace. I recognize how much he loves me. And I, I get back up. You know, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times and gets back up every single time. Grace, an understanding of grace will keep getting you up. Now what happens here is that they're obviously walking in the head of the new covenant and uh, and that grace was there for them and yet we have to be cautious. We don't want to be displeasing in God's eyes after we come to know him. It says, now these things happened, now catch this, these things happened as what? Examples for us, us being the church, not just the Jews, not just us is the church, so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. He said, don't be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Now, I've told you this before, and if you've been around my teachings, I said, that sounds like the Coachella Valley right there. I mean, what could you, I mean, seriously, the people sat down at LG's, let's just fill it in, Ruth's Chris, you know, and to eat and drink, and then they stood up. To do what? To play golf, play a little tennis, you know, go on a little hike, you know, do a little bike riding. They stood up to play. 
Now, what he's saying is that they just got so enveloped back into the scene realm that they just couldn't operate. They just got, they were staggeringly overwhelmed. They, they, they had just seen the seas part. They had just seen the miracles. How, does, how did this many people, some uh, theologians estimate that there might have been 3 million people that came out of Egypt. Because it also said, and, and there, was a, there was a great number that were gathered with them. Not, they weren't just all uh, Israelites that had come out of this. And they just got caught up. Yeah, they had seen miracles, and yet you just somehow get caught up, you know, in what you see. Because you're presented every day. You open your eyes, beep, and you see stuff, and you react to it. And you want things, and you crave things that you see. And then it just looks good. And all of a sudden, you're just so caught up in the material realm and the, the visual realm, the, the seen realm, that you just lose track of the fact that you are on a journey sovereignly ordained by God. He said, don't let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Don't let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. And don't grumble as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. This is a, an Exodus template, if you will. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, these things were all written for what purpose? For us. The story of Israel is written for what purpose? For the church. They were called to mediate the covenants, both the old and the new. Take, it, take the light to the nations. Take it to the ends of the earth. And then your story will be a helpful example for all those who are kind of, you know, well, we get up and we just... People are just not that interested in the Bible much anymore. You know, in the West, they're, they're growing apathetic with this. Oh, there are pockets of great, great excitement. But do you see massive revival in the streets? Do you see people just flocking to get into churches? Every study that I read say churches are on the decline. The giants in that land, well, they're just too big. There's, just, there's too much to tackle these days. We've gone over the edge. I mean, there's, it's kind of a fruitful place. There's a lot of my neighbors that really need the Lord. I mean, you should see their struggle in their marriage or with their kids or with all the different things. I know they need the Lord, but I mean, you just, I tried to talk to them about the Lord one time or invite them somewhere, and they, they just kind of shook their head. Those giants are too big for us. Are we going to have that attitude? I mean, that's the question. So what I want to look now is I'm going to call this the selection. Now, the reason I'm calling it the selection is that it's going to pre-run. It's going to be a template for us to understand that in, the, in, in their exodus, there were two major selections that happened, and then their response to being selected. And then we're going to fast forward next week into the New Testament and talk about the selection that Jesus made, which was the groundwork for the Great Commission that we in the 21st century are still being called into. If you didn't understand what I just said, I didn't either. So just hang in there. We'll get all this figured out. All right? So the selection. Now, what does this mean? Well, first of all, 12 were selected. Now, obviously, immediately you should go, well, that kind of happened in the New Testament too. Jesus went out very specifically and selected 12. Now, I could go into all kinds of reasoning why it was 12. The 12 tribes of Israel, you know, descended from the 12 tribes, you know, the the, the 12 that came out, I, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob has the sons, and, you know, I mean, we could go into that, and that's true, 
But what is it about 12? Well, I, you know, I could, I could give you all kinds of reasons, but at some point, it's just the number. And, and Jews are very intent on numbers, and that's why you read the symbolic nature of numbers, not a Western mentality of numbers. 40, over and over and over, you know, going for 40 days, going to the wilderness for 40 days, you know, 40 years in the wilderness, 40, 40, 40. Kings rule for 40 years. Uh, you'll see 12 and 7s and 3s. All those are really important, and each number has some meaning. It's just, it's just another way to communicate. I'm not into numerology and all that stuff. We're not talking about that. It's just another way to communicate a reality, spiritual reality. Well, we see the, the 12 spies. Now, they had come out. They had come out of Egypt. They had gone through the Red Sea. That was their baptism. That's what Paul said. That was kind of like their baptism. And now they go into the wilderness, and one of the first things they do is he selected 12 to go in and check out the land. Now, here's for our purposes. Here's going to be my take on this. Once they crossed the Jordan, who did it? Only two of them. Out of all that three million, only two would end up crossing. And it wouldn't be for another 45 years or 40 years. But then by the time actually Caleb took, takes his lands, 45 years later. So once they cross that Jordan and they move into the, the land that was flowing with milk and honey, we're going to say that's the Great Commission. That's where the Great Commission happens. And we should all be aspiring to enter the land flowing with milk and honey. Don't see that as heaven. See that as the place where the Great Commission is overflowing in their hearts. Who had it? Well, 12 were selected. So I'm going to take you. We're going to read through this. I'm going I'm to break it up a little bit so nobody goes to sleep. Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 25. Okay, Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Again, a detailed account of what's happening in the Exodus. So we have the, the book of Exodus, the Exodus, but what Numbers also goes back and recounts some of the things that occur that we don't always pick up in the, in the book called Exodus. Okay, starting verse 25. Now, when they returned from spying out the land, so here's what happened. Moses says, here's what I want you guys to do. I'm going to pick 12 of you, one from each tribe, representing your tribal affiliation. And then I want you to go into the land, and here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like you to scout it out. Now, where they went in was the Negev. It would be the southern part of Israel. So if you've ever paid attention on your nightly news, because Israel's map is almost up there every night on some news service, because there's always action going on, whether it be the Gaza Strip, somewhere in the West Bank. Now it's all about Syria and Assad. And if you go a little bit north, you get around the uh, Mediterranean there, you're into Turkey and Syria, Lebanon. I mean, these are, this is common day stuff, right? This is not just some ancient place that we don't know about. We're hearing about this stuff every night. So south of Jerusalem, which is in kind of the middle-ish, lower middle-ish part of Israel, is called the Negev or the desert. And places like Hebron and, and Simeon, the tribe of Simeon was down there and Judah was down there. And then if you go way up into the north, you get uh, Naphtali and you get Zebulun and you get some of these other tribes that were up. And somewhere in the middle, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then on the other side of the uh, Jordan, you get places, uh, tribes like Gad, uh, Egad, right? Gad and some of these other places on, on the other side. So... They were in the south part, having just come through the sea, and they were sent up into the Negev. So I want you to spy it out. And here's what I'd like for you guys to do. I'd like you to check out what, how forested is it, okay? Moses, Moses didn't know. He'd never been there. Tell us what the topography looks like. 
Is there agriculture? Tell us about the people. Are they fierce? Are they big? Are they small? I mean, who, who is it, right? Well, small can be pretty fierce too if you watch the Astro game last night. Sorry for you Yankee fans, but Jose Altruva, he, he, he stepped up and he's 5'6", and he, he hit a walk-off home run to put him into the World Series last night. But usually, generally, people are not afraid of that. They're afraid of, and this is called the Anakim. These are the giants in the land. We'll talk a little bit about that more later. Who, who is that? Who's there? And how, what's the agriculture look like? And by the way, if you wouldn't mind while you're there, if it's fruitful, bring us back some of the stuff. Bring us back some of the booty. So, that, so they were sent off. And then when they returned here from spying out the land at the end of, what, 40 days. Here we have it again. 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought bad word to them and all to, the con- to all the congregation and showed them all the fruit. I mean, it's like, look, now let's try to equate this. It's like coming to the Coachella Valley and say, man, it's unbelievable. There aren't that many churches there. We've told you before. There aren't any church buildings. If we filled every church twice, twice, every Sunday, we'd still only reach 15% of the valley. Can you believe that? You can talk about unchurched. Go to Dallas and some of these other places, there's church on every corner. We just don't have that many churches here. It's fruitful. I mean, there, and there's not that many people there sharing the gospel. They're more interested in, you know, sitting down to eat and drink and standing up to play. It's just kind of this valley. It's the nature of this valley. And so they came back and, and he said, we went to the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. It's a good spot. It's very productive. And this is its fruit, and they had all this fruit. Nevertheless, right, the people who live in the land, well, they're strong, right? And the cities are fortified, and and they're very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of, now this can be pronounced a number of ways, Anak or Anak, or Anach, depending on who you look at, but we'll, we'll call him Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites are living there in the hill country, and the Canaanites are living by the sea and, and by the side of the Jordan. You see what they were doing. I, I realize it's good harvest there. The harvest is really potentially very ripe right now. In fact, look at all this stuff we brought back. It's unbelievable. These guys carrying grapes, you know, it's cantaloupe, whatever they were carrying. I don't know what they were carrying. Carrying all this stuff. I hate cantaloupe. I don't know why I said cantaloupe. Bringing all this blueberries. and I don't know what it was. It's probably not blueberries. They bring all this stuff. This is so fruitful, but nevertheless, there's a lot of people there. They're not interested in that, you know. Coachella Valley, you go in there, it's just a bunch of country clubs. It's like 130 different golf courses in the valley. And they're behind their own walls and they're... And they're, they, a lot of them had successful careers, and they're not interested in this stuff. You can't even get in there to see them. You know, I mean, th- 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 you just don't understand that people aren't interested in God. And they're smart, too. And they'll give you some pretty well-reasoned responses on why God doesn't exist. We don't really stand a chance. So let's just go off into our whole little huddle, and we'll just congregate, and we'll do our, sing our songs and raise our hands and then go back. But we're not, we don't really think we can take that land. Are you following me? These things were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, the question I'm going to ask you this morning, do you have the Caleb spirit? Caleb's about to, he's about to pipe up. 
the Joshua spirit? Or do you have a spirit that just says, well, when I look at this, you know, if I, if I sit back and look at the situation, it doesn't look too good. I mean, I know some of those people. They're not interested in God. I would feel stupid if I started trying to bring up Jesus in a social situation. No, no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. It's, I have no chance. But Caleb, oh, Caleb, he quieted the people before Moses and he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to do it against this people. They're too strong for us. They're too smart. They're... So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out and said, the land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. And there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, this whole thing about the Nephilim, it's, theologians don't know. There's some speculation, some believe that it talks about in Genesis chapter 6 that the sons of men and the daughters, right, the sons of God, excuse me, and the daughters of men began to marry, okay, in the early stages after Adam and Eve. And some suggest that those might have been fallen angelic beings that were sometimes referred to as sons of God. If you go back in Elohim, which can be angels, fallen angels, and somehow they may have come down and intermarried and that created this race of very large, powerful, destructive forces called the Nephilim. Now, that may or may not be the case. The other side would be that the line of Cain, because Adam was created by God, he was a son of God, and then through the line of Cain, these were the sons of God, right, although fallen, and then the daughters of men through Seth. It, it gets a little complicated. I, I, don't, I don't really know. I, I don't even have an, to be honest, I don't even have an opinion on this. What I will tell you is, is there were some big guys. Now, what's interesting is that we'll see these one of these people, actually four of them, emerged later in a story that you know a little bit about probably, even if you've never been around the Bible, David and Goliath. Goliath was part of the Anakim. And at some point, as we'll see, where Caleb, he gets busy once he crosses the Jordan, starts wiping them out. Some of them escaped and they went to what was called Philistia or all, what we would call today modern-day Gaza Strip. And you hear a lot about that, which is right on the Mediterranean in the south part and also on the west, right up against the Mediterranean. <clears throat> I love Caleb's heart here, you know. Uh, I just love it. I, I, I want Caleb's heart. I want that in my soul, even when I'm shaking in my boots. Even when I'm afraid and going, I don't know how we'll ever reach this valley. You just don't understand. There's a lot of people. There's people like, you know, just people you read about and see on TV, and they come here. There's a lot of people, you know. I mean, there's a, it's Celebrityville. It's, it's Tycoonville. It's CEO, Fortune 500 people. It's all kinds of people. They're not interested in hearing about Jesus. They're just too strong for us, too smart for us, too unreachable for us. I don't want that. I want this. We should by all means go and take possession of this valley for whatever we've been given and called. Not, we, don't, we don't take the whole kingdom, but we've been given 
some land here. And I don't mean physical land. I'm talking spiritual land here. Are we going to go in and possess it or are we going to sit back and go, well, you know, I don't know. That's why you hear us almost every week. We are a missional church. You know why? Because missional churches are healthy and vibrant and growing and alive. Non-missional churches, over time, they'll just kind of, they'll drift away. Well, chapter 14 then goes on to say, Then all the congregation lifted up their voices, now catch this, and cried, and the people wept that night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses. Now, what? who is Moses? Moses is a type of Jesus. He is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He is a prophet. There had already been a prophecy that had been given that, that one day that there would be a prophet like you, Moses, that I'm going to send about Jesus. Moses is the one who led them out of Egypt and walked them through. And then right before they started the Great Commission, he went up on a mountain and died. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He came down, he took us out where we were, he walked us through the wilderness all those years, and then right before we get into the calling where his disciples were going to go out and be a light to the nation, Jesus crawled up on a mountain and died. Sound like Moses, doesn't it? Interesting, the parallels. And they began to grumble against Moses, and they began to grumble against Aaron, and we do the same thing. We may not say it out loud, Jesus, I'm really... I'm really dissatisfied with you, but we show it by our actions. We're just not that engaged in what he was engaged in. You let us down here. I mean, I came here and I gave my life to you. I started coming to church, maybe even helping out, volunteering on Constance's team. And then cancer, really, Lord? I mean, is this what you're going to give us? And, or financial challenges or, or whatever it is? I mean, all these things coming at us? I mean, and you just... In your own spirit, you begin to grumble. And you don't even know. It just it sneaks in on you. I can tell you, and not, again, not to belabor it, but it's our story. I, I, felt, I felt that want to come over me over these last seven or eight months. I felt it at various points. If I didn't know this story, and if I didn't want to stick and say, I, I don't want a Caleb spirit, if I didn't have that, I don't know if I'd have made it through. I don't want to be this grumbler, but I'm so happy we have this story. goes on to say, would that we have died in the land of Egypt. You know, the world was pretty good. People leave every day. They just sneak back in. They go back to their job. I'm just going to live a normal life. I'll be moral. I'll be a good guy. They don't need all that stuff. They just start to grumble. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? You could see the imagery that they're already. They have an image of their lives. They listen to the report. It's just too, too big. People are too smart, too, too, too large. We, we'll, we'll never reach these people. Let's just give it up. We're going to fall by their sword. Now, we wouldn't fall by a literal sword. We'll get kicked out. They'll put dirt on our face. We'll be on the front page of the paper. Another church that went down failed. I can see it now. It's all written. It's just, I can see it. I can imagine it in my mind. Or, it says, our wives and even our little ones will be, they'll become plunder. <clears throat> Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt, which is the world? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Now, whether or not you realize it or not, there are times in your life when Jesus is taking you down a road and it seems too hard and it seems like there's barrenness there or something's befallen you and you're like, where is Jesus? Jesus feels like he's a million miles away. And you may not know it, 
But somewhere deep down in your soul, you appoint another leader. And then you go back to the world. Because everybody's got to serve somebody. Isn't that the song, right? Everybody's got to serve somebody. You got to listen to somebody. And if it's not Jesus is your authority, you can try to become your own authority, and some people do that, but they still, at the core of that, they've appointed another leader in their life. There's some expert out there, somebody that they buy into, some article that they read, somebody who left the faith and defected and fell away and said, I don't believe in that stuff anymore, or something. And they read that, and they feel emboldened by that. Somehow, deep down in their soul, maybe you're here this morning or watching on live stream, and you know, even as I say that, even the Holy Spirit right now is saying, you know what? You have. You've appointed another leader, and you're returning to Egypt. And Jesus is here to say, but I'm full of grace, and I'll come right back in and be your leader. You just need to turn back toward me. So Moses and Aaron, I love this part. They fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Do you know Jesus falls on his face for you, if you will, as an intercessor? The Bible says that Jesus intercedes for us, even when we're talking about appointing another leader in our own heart. Go back to the way it was. It's better for us if we start off this Christianity journey. I mean, really, I mean, it wasn't great, but it's better better in this wilderness. This is awful. And then Jesus falls down on his face and begins to intercede for you. He doesn't run from you and go, you nasty, all the stuff I've done for you. And now you're behaving like this? Turn and run. Some of you also think that. You think you walked away from God 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, and now Jesus must be so ticked off at you that you could never return. Can I tell you what Jesus' posture is? He's falling on his face to intercede for you. That's why we worship Jesus. If he was just another demagogue who got up there, follow me, everything will be fine. If you don't, I'm going to wipe you out kind of thing. That's pretty much every other religion or whatever. I mean, monotheistic, usually, unknowable, out there, way out there somewhere. Jesus comes down and gets very personal even when you fail and he begins to intercede for you. Here we have the template for it. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Yephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a heart that tears your clothes when people are defecting, walking away from the Lord? Or you just say, well, you know, I, I always knew they weren't really believers. Do you go after the lost? Or do you say good riddance? Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and they said, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good. God has a plan. God has a journey for you. He said, if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into the land. Now catch this. We're going to get a little string here. Bring us into the land. Give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't fear the people of the land. They're going to be our prey. Now, can you see the differences in the pictures in Joshua and Caleb's mind? 
versus those. They said, in our strength. See, when you start thinking about this in your strength, you picture getting wiped out, your kids are taken for plunder, your wives are, you know, ravaged, all this. We're going to die out here because you're thinking about you versus whatever this valley is. You think I have any chance to go in and have any impact in this valley? I am an absolute nobody. I was a backswing watcher, for heaven's sake. No offense if you're a golf pro background, but that's not high on the totem pole. You know, people like you if you help them a little bit. No, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not saving anybody from brain cancer or doing anything else. I'm helping somebody get on a plane and hit it more solidly. I mean, I'm a nobody. But a nobody plus God is a somebody. And a somebody without God, kind of a nobody. In the cosmic scheme of things. See, but Joshua and Caleb noticed what they said. He will bring us into the land. Not, we've got the power. You know, we're strong. You know, I wield the sword better than you guys know. Caleb then did a little dance, ninja dance. No, he wasn't doing that. He said, God will bring us in. He will give it to us. It's a land. It's a good land. But don't rebel against him. Don't fear the people. They will be our, and that collective our is not us, just the people. It's us and God. That's the way David would see it some 450 or so years later when he faced Goliath. Why are you taunting the armies of the living God? It's us and God versus you. That's why David was able to go in there with just a slingshot. So their protection has been removed from them. What does that mean? See, he could see, they could see in the spirit. God's told us he was going to give it. See, if God tells us he's going to give us some land, and I don't mean physical land. I'm talking about spiritual people to come into the kingdom. If he's promised that, and I do believe he's promised this church some people to come into the kingdom through this, through this effort called Church at the Red Door, then the protection, what does that mean? And the, their protection has been removed from them. What protects someone's mind from coming into the kingdom? Well, they're spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's why the Bible says, again, which we quote often here, our battle's not against people. Our battle is against powers, principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. See, God begins to take those guys and he begins to, well, he begins to turn in their protection. They were blinding the minds of these people and their protection's gonna be removed and all of a sudden they're gonna start thirsting for God when they weren't thirsting for God before because these spiritual powers are gonna be pushed back. Is Church of the Red Door gonna go into the valley and push back the powers of darkness? Well, if Jesus is in the middle of it, we will because their protection's gonna be removed. Can you, can you taste this? Now, some of you, maybe you're new to all this. This sounds crazy. It is. That's what makes it so fun. But it's true, and it's real. And many of us, we could just get up here and walk through the stage and say, this is how this has changed my life. This is real stuff. This isn't just buying into some fairy tale. Their protection has been removed, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. What was this Caleb spirit? You know, Caleb, the, most people just think it means dog. Actually, if you go back in the Hebrew and kind of pack, unpack this, you know what it really means? Raging with canine madness. I love that. It's like an attack dog. But don't, don't. 
formulate pictures back during the civil rights movement where the attack dogs were attacking physical people with fire hydrants and all those black and whites from Selma and some of these other places. Don't picture that. Think of it in the spiritual realm. Don't think of it in the physical realm. Caleb is in there and like, we will push back these forces of darkness because God's with us. He's not with them. Why would we fear this? Oh, there may be some hell to pay, so to speak. Satan will come against us. There's no question. There will be battles. But we win. We win. I love this, and we'll, we'll close with this. But uh, I, I like, sometimes I get a hold of these old books, and I just love this book. I don't know who in the world this guy is. I don't know where this came from. If you gave this to me, thank you. Uh, God's Honorable Mentions. I love that. It says minor players who impacted the Bible events. Minor players. In other words, it's not the people we don't know that people know Moses and they know King David and they know David Goliath stories and stuff like that. Some people know Caleb if you've been around your Bible, but I guess he was a minor player. In my mind, he's not a minor player. He's like a pivotal, massive player. I love Caleb and Joshua as well. This is what he says. He says, first we were told he was a prince in Israel, a family chief of the tribe of Judah. That's Caleb. Caleb was a name, has a name with meaning to it, as many people did at that time. Many carelessly take the name to mean dog, but the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia has this interesting comment, and it goes in, the Syriac, the Arabic, etc., meaning it's not dog. In Hebrew, it's actually raging with canine madness. He says, so he's characterized as an attack dog. We would call that a canine police dog today, trained and fearless and ready to do what it took to win in a conflict. So I love that. I just love, I want to be that. Do you want to be that? Can you be meek and mild in the physical, but in the spiritual be a raging, canine, aggressive attack dog? Yes. Some of the most rabid, crazy canine-like people come in 85-year-old little bodies of women with gray hair, and they kind of come in and they love on you, and there's grandma, but in the spirit realm, be careful. <laughs> be careful. I know some of them, and they're in this church, and I love them. So that's the choosing of the 12. Now, what you will see is that a little less than 20% failed. Only Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. When we go into the New Testament, Jesus will what? Choose 12 again. And this time only one fails. And even he who had been marked out, the son of perdition that was even prophesied in the prophet Zechariah hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Judas was already prophesied to turn back and want to go back to Egypt. A few others in the New Testament go back to Egypt. They appoint a new leader. Demas, for instance, was part of the fray early. And then Demas... Paul simply says, return to the world. In our language, in terms of the Exodus template, he went back to Egypt. He appointed a new leader and just got tired. It was too tough. It was too difficult. And again, as you've maybe heard me say before, Demas, when I was doing a study once, means popular. Sometimes when you're popular, like if you're not popular, you know, maybe, maybe you stick it out with a church group or something like that. But sometimes when, you, when you've got it going in the world, it's easy to say, well, the world embraces me. They like me. You know, I'm successful in the world. I'm popular, and it's easy to appoint a new leader. You don't even have to tell anybody. You just keep coming here. You just, in your heart, you appointed a new leader. So next week, we're going to talk about the selection of the 70. Now, again, what are we doing here? 
just to, to, as a summation, what are we doing here? We're trying to determine how we become the kind of people that will be effective in the Great Commission. How do we do that? You have to be a self-feeder. You have to be. If you want to cross the Jordan and go into the land flowing with milk and honey, spiritually speaking, to actually have an impact on people's lives and release them from, well, darkness into the domain of, from the domain of darkness, Paul said, into the kingdom of light. If you want to participate in that, you've got to eat right and exercise. So next week we talk about the selection of the 70 in the old template and then Oh, voila, Jesus then chooses 70. You think it's all by chance. No, Jesus was following it exactly. So if we can learn this story, is it going to help us with our walk? Yes. Is it going to help us with mission? the mission of church at the red door and what, what we'll be facing over the coming years? Absolutely. Will it, will it make a difference whether you understand this or not? Yes, because if, if we've got a high buy-in rate and people are all crossing the Jordan together and we're going over there and watching the walls come down at Jericho and some of these other amazing things that we're going to see in the future. If we go together, the more buy-in we have and people understand they're on a journey, the more successful we'll be. It can't just be 5-10% of this church. We need a large number of folks who said, I believe it and I am going to my grave with the Caleb spirit. Yes, by all means, we should go and possess the land. You with me? Now, that's flat-out good preaching, isn't it? Isn't that good preaching? <laughs> Wake up your neighbor. We're about to. Uh... So, uh, again, I love Church at the Red Door. I love the mission. I love the people that are being called to Church at the Red Door. I love the leadership teams in place. I love the, the amazing volunteerism that we see, the generosity of this church. That goes well beyond the walls of church at the red door. We're going to have an impact in this valley. We are going into that land. But it must be well with my soul. It must be well if I'm going to go in and take the land flowing with milk and honey. If you've got issues here this morning, we all have some issues. Don't get me wrong. But you can take this to the Lord. I want you to stand now. We're going to sing, It Is Well With My Soul. If you'll remember the first six months of this church, it's pretty much the only song we played over and over and over. And I had some people come up and said, all we ever play is Well With My Soul. And I go, I know, but it, I was feeling a lot of angst when we planted this church, and I just needed this song every week. So we're right back at it. And then if, if Pastor Paul would come up and close us in prayer, I would appreciate that. I love you people. Is it well with your soul? Even if it's not, let's sing it as if it was. <laughs>